If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Instead of ruminating and, and worrying more and more, I mean, to a degree, you have to keep learning. But then at, at a certain point, you have to jump up and do something. Once we've gone down the rabbit hole, digging up all the social, public health, and environmental issues that we face today, how do we get ourselves out of there to actually take action and make a difference? Most people already fully understand and support the idea of organic, which is great, but why is that not enough for sustainability? And why is regenerative agriculture the next big thing for us to support? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already following me on Instagram, you can find me there at Kamea Shane. I'll be sharing more of my ongoing learning lessons, inspirations, resources, and reminders for you to recenter and stay grounded because we need you to be in your best health at the top of your game to support this movement. I look forward to connecting on Instagram. And now to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is an ecological designer, teacher, and urban homesteader living in Asheville, North Carolina. She's the founder of Project Grounded, which raises awareness about regenerative farming and climate-conscious lifestyle choices. Before starting this venture, she received a PhD from Harvard University and taught Indian religions and environmental ethics at the college level before transitioning into ecological design. I've been really excited about the topic of regenerative farming, and our guest today is the perfect person to talk about this because it's really at the core of her work. She really firsthand and hands-on understands how this works as well as how it benefits our ecosystems and the economy. So Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Mari Stewart. I started off, I grew up in rural Finland and would spend summers at my grandparents' farm. And both for my grandparents and especially for my dad, simply sort of living a life of self-reliance, uh, 
going in the forest to to pick the berries. My dad would hunt moose. Uh, growing our own, own potatoes it was sort of just a matter of course. So I'm really grateful that they instilled in me this this idea of living close to nature and, and uh, trying to learn to source what we need from it. But I, I moved to the U.S. as an undergraduate and really for the next 10 years immersed myself in academic study and book learning and got really passionate about it and ended up pursuing a master's and a PhD. And that was all really wonderful. But it, I did become sort of the, the classic book hermit in the library studying, studying dead languages. And while I thought of myself as someone who's pretty environmentally responsible what i ended up focusing on in you know 90 90% of my energies went into something really specialized and i had this sort of awakening around 2010 when i was just wrapping up my dissertation that here i am you know studying my focus was religious studies and specifically indian religions i'm studying you know what what brings meaning to the human life and how human beings throughout time have grappled with some of the biggest challenges including existential challenges of, of their times. And here I am when I look around myself, um, the biggest challenge of my lifetime, and here I'm thinking climate change and environmental degradation, what I'm doing for my work doesn't address that in any way. So that was sort of an, an awakening. And I started looking for, for solutions. How can I do what I do while still contributing to solutions around environmental issues? That led me to do a permaculture design course pretty much two weeks after I'd finished my doctoral doctoral degree. So it was from PhD to PDC. And that was in um, California at the Regenerative Design Institute. And that was really the beginning of something amazing. I'd already jumped back into gardening around that time, started really getting into urban homesteading and got a real kick out of pretty much learning to make everything from scratch, mm -hmm. from clothing to cheese and jams and candles and soap, and was loving it. Then I faced the challenge as a young academic who got hired to be a college professor, trying to balance that. I was really driven to do all of this, but it was a really demanding career path as well and really time-consuming. So how do I manage both? Mm -hmm. But that was that's where I found myself a few years ago. And what, do you, what did you learn particularly that led to this awakening. So what did you learn about environmentalism specifically that caused you to have this wake-up call? I think I went down the rabbit hole. I think it's a pretty classic pattern that people have <laughs> yeah. of, of sort of waking up from my books and looking around myself and starting to read voraciously about what was happening around around me and had this oh shit moment <laughs> of mm -hmm. like, how are, we, what, how, are we, how are we going to deal with, deal with this? And, and probably got pretty depressed in that vortex of despair for, for a good while. And then tried to find, because I'm a, sort of a problem solver, I always want to, okay, what's the next step? What do I do about this? Mm -hmm. um, permaculture was one one answer that I found, sort of just positive, solution-oriented, finding ways for human beings to, you know, not, not run up to caves and not do anything, but let, still continue to meet human needs while doing it in a way that, that is not, just extracting, extracting resources, but actually replenishing and regenerating. So that yeah. was a really wonderful thing to discover. I discovered um, transition, the transition towns movement, and in the places where I've lived since since then, have been part of the transition town movement. 
Yeah. And I want to go back. You mentioned that you went down this rabbit hole when you first learned mm-hmm. about all this thing, all these things. What did yeah. you do to climb out of that? Because I feel like this is a common issue that a lot of us face is once we learn about one issue, we learn about another issue and it just keeps going. So what what helped you to climb out of that? I would say getting active, just instead of ruminating and, and worrying more and more. I mean, to a degree, you have to keep learning. But then at a certain point, you have to jump up and do something, whether it's starting to volunteer at a community garden or starting your own, taking more control over our food supply and getting active in the local local food scene, I think is a really good step because it's so rewarding right away. <laughs> you get to enjoy your involvement through, mm-hmm. through good nourishing food. Yeah. So transforming awareness into action. Yeah, because we can just sit there and ponder and, and worry or I think action is the proper path. But I would name another thing. Um, the ego philosopher Jonah Macy has been pretty influential in my life. And uh, she often writes about, you know, this time during which we are alive. And yes, you can beat your head against the wall and say, why me? Why did I have to be born at this time when <laughs> things are really scary, right? There's a lot of really upsetting things going on and you feel that it's not in your, your control. And she turns it around and says, what an amazing opportunity at no time before in human history has there been a time when so much is at stake and our whole existence is at stake. And this is a time when you're really called to be, you know, show your true courageousness and really stand for, for your values. So rather than numb ourselves to the reality, become even more awake to it. Mm. And it's, it can be a hard thing to do and it requires discipline and a practice of sort of connecting to others and accepting to some degree the the cycle of life and death that happens on this planet. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I have to keep that in mind. Um, So today you're an ecological designer and educator. Can you give Mm -hmm. us a little background of what this entails? Yeah. After a long process, I ended up quitting my academic job in 2016 when I came to the conclusion that I was trying to do all these things on, on the side so do permaculture design. Um, I had the opportunity to co-facilitate a permaculture design course. I was teaching urban homesteading classes. I was writing a blog about all of these DIY experiments. And I realized I was enjoying all of that so much more than my most of my academic work. Mm-hmm. And then what motivated you to start Project Grounded? And what is that all about? That came about as a sort of a long process of figuring out where do I plug in with this regenerative agriculture movement that I had gradually learned about and become really passionate about. So right after I left my job, I jumped straight into a six-month ecological landscaper training in in California, which is essentially advanced permaculture Mm -hmm. training. And that's where I really got to try my skills in practice and do, you know, real-life permaculture designs and irrigation systems and all these hands-on skills. And in the course of that, I realized I was really passionate about um, sort of regenerative agriculture or carbon farming, yet I was not myself a farmer, at least not yet. And I, that's the case for the large majority of our population. So I wanted to find out, is there a way to make this, make this movement relevant, make it resonate with people who are not farmers themselves, who may be urban folks, but who really want to make a difference in terms of the climate, who want to see our farming lands not totally be devastated and denuded 
uh, who still want to eat healthy, nutritious food. What are the ways in which, you know, your average consumer, or let's say average urban person, can connect with this movement? So Project Grounded has been, it's not even a solution yet, it's been an ongoing effort to find answers to, to that question. Yeah, and I really want to dive into regenerative farming. That's really your Mm -hmm. area of expertise. I feel like it can address so many of our current environmental and public health issues at the same time. Exactly. But it hasn't been emphasized enough within the conversations around sustainability. So can Mm -hmm. you just give us a little bit of an introduction to this? Like, what is regenerative farming? Sure. Um, Well, one thing I would say to people who are not familiar with it, it's not any single technique or farming method. It's more like a toolkit of lots of different practices and it you know it's applied depending on what the what the farming system is is it livestock based is it grain farming but rather than sustainability and I'm really phasing out of using using that word so we're talking about sustaining something that we all know is not really working anymore anyway so we have to aim higher than sustainability rather than maintaining a status quo that's already degraded try to find a way to in this case farm the kinds of materials and goods that we human beings need in a way that is not destructive and just extract and destroy the re- the future resource base but but rather it's constantly replenishing and regenerating so it's growing food in a way that rebuilds soil um, you know irrigating in a way that makes sure there will be water in the future in fact it it improves the water infiltration capacity of, of soils and then also human health regeneration um, the food that's grown in this way it just happens <laughs> is also more more nutrient dense mm-hmm. because it's grown in soil that's that's alive so like you said there's so many win-win-wins yeah about it that it's it's hard not to get really excited about it yeah so it's really Sustainability can seem like it's just neutralizing our harms, but regenerative farming is going beyond that and benefiting our ecosystems. Exactly. And it's, it's possible. It's not some, it's not some daydream. People are doing it as we speak. For sure. So regenerative farming itself, it's not a new concept and Mm -hmm. there's so many benefits to it. What do you think happened that made agricultural practices all over the world today shift away from this healthier way of farming to just looking at farms like a machine with inputs and outputs? Um, I think, you know, it's happened on, on multiple levels, including levels of policy, certainly economy, Certainly the sort of big ag lobbies around the world that have been pushing for chemical agriculture have been, have been a big part of this, this unfortunate shift. Um, as well as something that may not be anybody's fault. It just happened as, as human beings moved to cities more, became more, more urbanized and lost that connection that traditional villagers have had. They knew exactly who grew their food. They would see it growing. Same goes for, for their clothing, for their everyday implements and tools. So we've lost that connection really to where our material goods come from. Yeah. So for, for a while, we've really become disconnected with the origins of a bunch of the consumer products that we buy. But now we're, again, waking up to the reality of things and causing this awakening, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why even just a simple act such as going to the farmer's market weekly is so sort of radically transformative so for, for so many people. And it's such an awakening of, of the senses and just shaking the hand of the person who grew your your food. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that is a simple act that helps you to start reconnecting while you while you continue to live in the city. You don't have to move back to the countryside, but start becoming more aware of what am I consuming? What material things do I come into contact with every day? And how can I become more responsible for those chains of transactions that lead these things to me that nourish me? Mm-hmm. Because we know the, the sort of the hidden cost of so many things that we use and consume from textiles to to food to cell phones, right? For sure. So your bio says that you hope to connect the dots between grounded people and grounded carbon and designing landscapes that support life in all of its forms. What do you think are the keys to designing landscapes that can support life in all of its forms? You have to look at it as a as a whole, sort of on a whole systems basis. So when you're looking at a landscape, you look at all aspects of what what make it work. Uh, look at it as an as an ecosystem. So in case of farmland, you don't look at it just as sort of this production field that that generates what we human beings need. You, you look at it as an, as an ecosystem. You look at the water flows that go through it. How do you manage those in a responsible way rather than eroding topsoil, for example? Uh, you look at the wildlife and pollinators that go through that land or, or inhabit it. How do you um, balance the human activity on that land and then the other 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 life forms you may look at the social um, and economic aspects how does that piece of land integrate with what's already happening so those analysis pieces are the basis of what might be called permaculture design or regenerative design or whole systems design mm-hmm. so it's really learning from how natural ecosystems already function as like this circular system and implementing those concepts to farms Mm-hmm. Yeah. And seeing, seeing in a way, looking at what, what resources are al- already coming through onto this piece of land, you know, water flows, sunlight, you know, what might be called a sort of the, the carbon cycle, carbon cycling through the land, you know, wild animals and their, you know, them pooping on the land or, or whatnot, the human, the human streams. Mm-hmm. And, and see, for example, the, the forms of energy that come onto land water being one of them, sunlight being one of them. How do we as human beings capture as much of that? Because it's free energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then utilize it to produce the things we need rather than waste all of that and then then lorry over new resources from somewhere else, you know, compost or or water or, you know, use what's already on your land, what's falling onto your land, thanks to nature just doing its thing. So it sounds pretty complex and sounds like there are a lot of elements to think about. For you as an ecological designer, what's the most challenging part about keeping track of all of these different elements? That's a good question. Um, Ideally, to really get to know a site like that, you need time and spending time carefully um, just observing and, and learning because it is such a complex system. And the reality often is it's not always possible to spend a year just just observing and really learning. So you have to see if you can speed read the system or the landscape and then find those leverage points. If I make this one change, how will it ripple down and have other beneficial impacts down the line? So that's why, for example, we often look at management of water as the first thing because it's sort of, it's one of these leverage points. Mm-hmm. If you get that right, it'll impact the soil, it'll, it'll impact human systems functioning, uh, it'll help to mitigate whatever either drought or excessive flooding if you do it smartly. 
So I guess the key really is focusing on those leverage points where you can make the least bit of change for the greatest positive effect. Mm. And being an educator, what's your biggest frustration about the ways that we're currently talking about and teaching environmentalism and sustainability and going beyond that, as you mentioned? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would say in trying to get across this message about regenerative agriculture and how we really can, we can do better than organic, we can go further. There are a few stumbling blocks there. It, it is a challenge of communication, in part because for the majority of people don't are not even yet familiar with the concept of of regenerative and it's it's a bit of a mouthful mm-hmm. <laughs> to be to be honest so getting them to even conceptualize that we can we can do better than just organic and that that they should care about what's happening in these complex ecosystems that we call farms so i think again that disconnect that we talked about with that has come about with urbanization and industrialization uh, of people they think of the supermarket now as the place where food comes from mm-hmm. a large majority of people so that sense of the care and responsibility for how farmland is managed in that place somewhere we've we've started to lose that and so if you talk the way i can get really impassioned <laughs> passionate mm-hmm. about uh talking about you know farmland and soil and carbon sequestration and mycorrhizal fungi um, but for your average urban person, they give you the, back this blank stare. <laughs> they feel like, what does that have anything to do with my life <laughs> and the things that matter to me? So I think one of the first steps is really starting to cultivate and bring back some of that sense of connection. And part of that is really localization mm-hmm. of our of our food systems and, and economies, because that's when you do actually get to see, you can actually visit the piece of land where your, say, your food grew or the wool for your sweater grew. And that helps to get around the, the big challenge of supply chains that get way too long and it's hard to keep them transparent and then accountable. For sure. And organic farming, I feel like it's a simpler concept that's already taken off. People know Mm -hmm. that it's healthier for us and healthier for the planet. Um, People are able to connect it directly to them because they're like, I don't want pesticides on my food and toxic chemicals. Yeah, it's a simpler concept. Yeah. So what are the biggest differences between regenerative farming and organic? Mm, One thing that I find helpful in explaining this is, you know, we might buy organic carrots at uh, the local supermarket and feel feel great about ourselves because we're making this choice for our health and environment and yes you're you're avoiding pesticide use but that's really pretty much the one thing that the organic certification can guarantee that's different from conventional it says nothing about the health of the soil in which the carrots were grown so the absence of pesticides doesn't necessarily guarantee that it was living healthy spongy soil it doesn't guarantee that there was biodiversity on that farm that it was designed with this whole systems holistic approach in mind so many much of the organic produce in the u.s is grown in california on monocrop farms it might be 300 acres of just carrots and if you look closely the soil there is bare and parched by the sun and doesn't have a lot of life in it so as nice as it sounds organic carrots may not be the most nutrient dense around because you need that life in the soil to produce really nutritious food. So that's that's where the challenge lies for the regenerative movement. One of them is is the question of messaging and how do we 
get people who are already familiar with organic to think in this more complex way. Yeah. So what can we do as individual consumers to support regenerative farming? Are there labels that we can look for, like organic certifications, but for regenerative? Um, there are multiple initiatives that are in the works to, to, to bring those to consumers. So it's, it's, it's going to happen in the next couple of years. I think it's only a matter of, of time. The Rodale Institute has, has launched the initiative to, to introduce the regenerative organic label. The Savory Institute has another sort of system, kind of a metric for, for measuring soil health. One of the challenges is that there are a few different ones being proposed and they're working side by side, not necessarily in synergy with each other. So one of the concerns is that these regenerative labels will confuse the consumer even more. So that's where we stand right now is right now you can't go into your supermarket and go to the regenerative aisle as not as nice as that would be. It might take some time and in a few years we probably will have those those labels. But there are there are a lot of challenges in that in that process. So as one of the offerings we developed in, in, at, with Project Grounded. And when I say we, I'm including uh, my friend Sam Gregory, who's a regenerative farmer on the, on the West Coast, who's very much sort of in, a, in a mentor role and the, the real farmer, residential farmer at Project Grounded. We developed this uh, regenerative consumer toolkit, which is freely available on our, on our website at projectgrounded.com. So it just outlines 10 simple steps you can take to move the needle on the regenerative movement a little bit. So simply getting to know the farms in, in your area, just developing that curiosity of how are these things that I <laughs> eat or produce or consume, how were they how were they produced? Looking into clothing, I'm really personally really passionate about regenerative fiber just mm-hmm. as much as, as food. So the fiber shed organization in California is doing wonderful work with with wool, primarily wool, but also hemp farmers, and really creating regenerative farming systems and connecting that to clothing designers, people who wear the clothes. So there are all those steps. And then just in your garden, if you have garden space, there are certain, you can apply essentially the same techniques that regenerative farmers apply um, to build soil and protect soil in your own garden. And then you'll be producing more nutrient-dense food for yourself. And it'll definitely be, be fresh. So we've outlined those those 10 steps. So we'll definitely have to check out your website to learn more from these 10 steps. Mm-hmm. And um, going back to that communication piece, I feel like that's so important in getting this message across. And sometimes we also talk to people who just don't really have an interest in environmentalism or in sustainability. What can we tell people in terms of how regenerative farming can benefit someone who lives disconnected in an urban landscape? I would say one of the... Um one of the ways to connect with them would be to talk in terms of, of health because there's a huge, everybody's into health these days and different diets and, and, and exercise and, and, you know, for, for a nation that's as sick as we are, there's a lot of this buzz about how do I live the healthiest, best life for myself? How do I eat nutritious food? And, and that's where that I think is a way of, um, connection point, even for folks who may not be that passionate about carbon in the soil, may not, may not even believe in climate change or care about that. That's fine. But, but your own personal health, if you're going to eat as we do every day, um, you might as well get, you know, the, the, the bang for the buck 
hmm. and and get as as much in, in the mouthful in terms of not just nutrition. We're not just um, wanting to be healthy, but sacrificing flavor. There's much more flavor and pleasure in responsibly grown food, and yeah. this is of course a, a big big issue. And, and people often what's said about the American um, food budgets is that we spend we th- we feel like we spend too much money on on our food, but we actually historically speaking, spend way less than our ancestors. So the proportion of, of our incomes that we spend on food is actually much less than it used to be in past cultures. Hmm. So we could think of that as an investment in our in our health. It's sort of health insurance that comes with just food that was grown responsibly. And it will make a difference, in, a huge difference in our quality of life. So really drilling in the point that a carrot actually doesn't equal a carrot because it exactly. also depends on how it was raised. And I feel like in the nutrition part, a lot of people just say, oh, eat whole foods, but a carrot might not equal a carrot. So really going past that is the next step. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was trained as a researcher, so I don't mind hours of tracking, <laughs> tracking down information about how some product was, was produced. It, um, it may not be everybody's cup of tea and it can get overwhelming. So we definitely need more systems and metrics to help us make those, make those decisions. But, um, certainly carrot is not, is not a carrot. <laughs> yeah. So coming full circle, what do you think we need most today to help us accelerate towards a thriving planet? That is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I have probably used the word connection here multiple times. I, I, um, and I speak of connection on, on multiple levels. Yes, connection to the environment around us, to, to nature, to the systems that produce the things we need. It's something that I'm really thinking about a lot these days. But also connection to each other. So that's why um, any kind of work that helps people just connect with um, with their neighbors, with their communities, with their towns, um, the people around them. Is, is a big part of this solution because we can't all be in isolated pub bubbles and just work on, you know, regenerating farm soils and expect it to work out. There are so many other, we live in such a complex society and there are, there are lots of other issues we need to address too. So while building connections to farmland, to farmers, to where our stuff comes from, I think also cultivating sense of connectedness to others and really in really small ways and in big ways too. Yeah. So both direct connections with just people around us and also in the bigger picture to the environment, to all of our consumer products and where things come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what are some upcoming projects for you that we can look forward to and support? So Project Grounded is, has taken a bit of a um, hiatus over the last few weeks and, and months. Over the In the spring months, we had this experiment really it was a monthly product box of all regenerative products most so mostly shelf stable product like coffee chocolate almond butter crisps things like that and it was really kind of a pilot offering because we saw this as something that's that's not currently out there in the market and not everyone's gonna do hours and hours of internet research to figure this out and we don't have this label yet so we thought we'll do the curating for for the consumers, who, for people who are interested in something like this, and they get a monthly pro- box of products that they know were produced in these ways. And we included a leaflet 
that had information about how you know how these things were were sourced. That was a really interesting project, and I learned a lot. Uh, it was a steep learning curve, and yet at the end of it, I decided to phase it out for various reasons. The main reason being, um, I felt that ultimately that that product box was not in full alignment with with the vision we have for for a project grounded. That that if we did it really well, we'd essentially become an online retail hub, and that is neither something I do really well or something that I see myself doing really well and and thriving and enjoying. So I, I realize I'm primarily a designer and an educator, and I leave that solution for for those who do it really well and get a kick, get a kick out of it. So in the future, Project Grounded will definitely continue to be sort of a consumer awareness platform. My hope would be that at some point we would be able to really facilitate for for farmers who are interested in um, switching more to regenerative growing practices to facilitate that process for them. So that might look like creating a carbon farming plan, which is something I've done in the past for farmers, helping them maybe with the marketing and storytelling, this very question of messaging and communication with with the people there they are serving, um, helping them find grant funding, things like that. For sure. Well, where can we go to follow your work online and stay updated? So the uh, the website address for Project Grounded is simply projectgrounded.com. We are also on Instagram, posting pretty regularly, as well as as well as Facebook. And maybe sometime in the future, um, you know, we'll be have a brick and mortar shop <laughs> somewhere. I'm now living in Asheville, North Carolina, and definitely feel like just doing this work virtually um, feels a little bit ironic if you're calling. If the, if the word in your organization's name is grounded. <laughs> so I feel like to have really the grounded life that I'm talking about, it has to be localized in some yeah. way. So I uh, don't yet know what that will look like, but I feel like at least really starting to work with the farmers in my region, in North Carolina and the, the Southeast, will be a part of that. Before we go into our final five, I have an exciting news to share with you. And that is that to thank you for being here, to thank you for tuning in, we're giving away a gift card from a sustainability-driven retailer or brand to one of our newsletter subscribers at the end of every month. I do need your contact information to let you know if you've won. So to sign up, you can just enter your email address at greendreamer.com. And in addition to receiving my Sunday emails of inspiration, you'll also automatically be entered for a chance to win our monthly giveaways. So don't miss out. Be sure to leave me your email address at greendreamer.com. And now to our final five. Let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or a social media account you follow? I would say Milkwood Permaculture. They're based in Australia and uh, just producing really awesome, down-to-earth, informative, positive content all mm-hmm. along. Uh, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I tell myself that... Some various versions of the challenges make you stronger um, motto that we, if you run into something, that's an opportunity for, for growth. And I don't always immediately remember it, but, <laughs> but I try to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. What's one must do for your health, either daily or weekly? At least weekly, walk 
in in wild places. So my family and I like to do hikes here in beautiful Western North Carolina, and I find that it's it's really critical not just go to walk in in a park where it's a human manicured environment, but be in the forest and and my daughter runs and finds bugs and um, that's that's definitely a men- mental health practice that we do. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Go to your local farmer's market if you have one and taste something that was picked just that morning. Chat with someone about what's going on in their farm, something that they're really proud to to share mm-hmm. and, and enjoy. Yeah, really reconnect. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? Um, you mean what helped me dig out of that rabbit hole of despair? <laughs> uh, I think just seeing ordinary people around me and really all over the world get to work. David Orr has this statement we have up on our website. Hope is a verb with its short shirt sleeves rolled up. So mm-hmm. again, we come to the point of, of getting into to action to, to do something. Just get your hands dirty find a cause or an organization or a garden near you and and just start doing something and you'll you'll feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Keep dreaming and then find those stepping stones of what might be a first step towards that that dream so that we don't we don't only dream but we we make it happen. In, in the world. So you might set long-term goals and then think in reality, what is one step that I could take today to get towards that direction? And it might take a while to get there, but you, you take that classic first step and then you figure out what's the next step. So both the dreaming and then concrete, practical action steps. Dream about the world you want to see and start taking your first action steps towards that vision. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview in the show notes at greendreamer.com. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.